You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Uh, this morning's scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and is given for our good. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Tom. Well, I should have introduced myself. There seems to be new people here every week. My name is Kyle Hackman. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church Toronto. We really are glad that you joined us. We're going to spend the next couple of minutes reflecting on this passage, but before we do that, would you bow your head and pray with me and ask for God's Spirit to send help? Our Heavenly Father, we do ask humbly now that because of the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, you'd send your Spirit upon us with power, that these words would become words of life for us, that Jesus Christ would be shown forth for who he truly is, beautiful, trustworthy, dependable, and our hope. Please, Father, speak through your word, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, to say it's been a tough couple of years on the church in Toronto would be quite an understatement. And it wasn't just the COVID pandemic that has made uh, the idea of being a leader, especially in the Christian church in Toronto, problematic. It was February of 2020, at least as far as I can tell, where some of the difficulties with bearing the name of Christ, especially as a leader in the church of Christ, became extremely problematic in Toronto. Some of you might not remember and might not have even noticed the name John Vanier, I don't know, Larsh, a report after his death was released, found that he had committed various amounts of sexual scandal and sexual abuse during his time running the ministry with a prominent chapter here in Toronto. If you're in Scarborough, you'll know that this set off a very quick debate, and a school that was named after him was forced to change its name relatively quickly. Some year later, we hear of another scandal Maybe the most well-known Christian apologist and Canadian, Ravi Zacharias. Then a year later, the pastor at least of the biggest church in Ontario, Bruxy Cavey. It's a hard time to want to be a leader, a shepherd, and the Church of Christ. It's a hard time to bear the name of Christ, much less being a leader. This is to say nothing of the work of the Boston Globe on covering the Roman Catholic sexual abuse scandal or the work of the Houston Chronicle uncovering the Southern Baptist Convention's sexual abuse scandal, not even to touch our country's distinct heritage as it relates to residential schools. Needless to say, this has not been a season where seminary enrollment has been increasing. In fact, the seminary enrollment seems to be down all across the board in North America. Pastors are regularly leaving. 
And churches frequently speak, as I'm together with other pastors, there's frequently conversations about lack of people desiring leadership in the church. And you know, after reading a passage like this and thinking through all we've been through for the past couple of years, the question could be asked of ourselves is, do we really need leaders? Maybe after a series of such abusive leadership, wouldn't it be wise and fitting that we take a break from leadership for a while and just run as a democratic society? Wouldn't we be better off on our own, not depending on leaders? Wouldn't this be a system better uh, suited to help us move forward as the body of Christ? And in this passage, Peter actually addresses elders, and I think he gives us reasons to challenge some of these assumptions. He gives us reasons to maybe think differently about what we should be looking for in church leaders and what it means to be a church leader. He addresses the elders of the church. He assumes there's elders in this church. You remember, he's writing to a group of people that he's called uh, displaced. They're uh, exiles in their own land. Their loyalty to Jesus Christ has set them off course with the prevailing cultural narratives, and they find themselves persecuted at work, in their marriages or found in discord, in general society. They're experiencing troubles, and Peter is saying fiery trials will for sure come. And he assumes that there's a group of people that, to whom he's writing this, in the, within this group of believers that are known as elders. And he says to them, shepherd the flock. That's essentially all this passage is saying, right? Verse 2, shepherd the flock. He doesn't exactly explain what it means to shepherd the flock. He says they're to work as overseers, but he keeps the details somewhat vague. He assumes this stuff is going to have to be worked out in each city and in each context differently. But he says to these elders, shepherd the flock. At least at our church, as you're going to hear in the congregational meeting afterwards, we've understood this command to shepherd the flock to include something of knowing the sheep, leading the sheep, feeding the sheep, and protecting the sheep. At the very least, this seems to be what shepherds did. But Peter is assuming that this church community has great trials coming their way, and if they're going to sustain their faith in the midst of trials, if they're not going to wander away and be overwhelmed by trials, it is going to take marked leadership, a certain type of leadership, shepherds doing their job to help this community push through the trials that are before them. And this morning, what I, and I will move fairly quickly, although when pastors say that, it's generally a lie, but I'll do my best to be honest. Um, I want to look at at least four uh, distinctive markers of leadership that we see in this particular passage. And I, I wonder, as you're sitting there, if as you hear this, you don't think about what this means for you. In a time where I think a lot of us would rather not invest in leaders, not look up to pe- leaders, not take vows to leaders, not want to get our hearts broken again, so we keep our our cards tight to our chest, not want to become very seriously involved in a community where there might be leaders. I think some of the the distinctive markers we're going to find in this passage might challenge you to rethink how you understand leadership in the church. So let's look at what I'll call four principles of church leadership that we see coming out of this exhortation, which should give us some wisdom about the type of leaders we need to lead the church into the future, whatever the fiery trial might be. And I want you to look at the way the leaders, these shepherds, are different from the types of leaders we see in prevailing cultural institutions. The first principle we might say is that the church is led by leaders who have no desire to rise above middle management. Now, where do I see this? Well, the exhortation is quite simple. The exhortation is found in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. This is essentially what this passage is about. But this is coming from the Apostle Peter. And look how he describes himself in verse 1. 
Remember, this is Peter. This is the one who Jesus looked in the eyes and said, you are the rock, and on this rock, I will build my church. He began this letter by referring to himself as the Apostle Peter, one who accompanied Jesus from his baptism, one who witnessed his resurrection and walked with him before he ascended into heaven, we read about in the book of Acts. But how does Peter describe himself as he addresses the elders? He refers to himself as a fellow elder, one who's a witness of Christ's suffering and a partaker in the glory that will be to reveal, be revealed. What is Peter doing? Well, one way to think about what Peter's doing is he's saying, listen, in the church, the org chart is relatively flat. There is some measure of, of, of hierarchy, I guess you could say. But at the end of the day, he sees himself as a fellow elder with the elders in this particular church to whom he's writing. He's a peer in some mysterious sense with these elders to whom he is writing. And he knows, as he says in verse 4, that there is one chief shepherd who's at the top of the org chart. Everyone else is under him. He watches over his church, sure, with shepherds. His church is this flock of God. But no one rises above the level of middle management. The highest you attain is elder, fellow elder with Peter. And this attitude should prevent people from becoming domineering. This isn't their flock. This is God's flock. It's quite incredible what Peter is saying. He's saying there's a fiery trial that is going to come upon this church community to whom he's writing. And we know the trial will include his martyrdom, will include the death of many Christians. And he's saying, here's what you have to understand, fellow elders, shepherd the flock well into that trial. Act as good middle management under the chief shepherd, but submit also to one another. Participate in this glorious collegi collegiality. Listen, what type of leaders do the church need to move forward and the next sort of, sort of iteration of what it looks like to follow Christ in our city? Leaders who don't see themselves rising above middle management, who look at other elders and refer to themselves as fellow elders under the chief shepherd. The next principle we might say is not just that uh, we, we, the leaders aren't people who rise above some level of middle management. We might also say that the leaders we find in this passage aren't independent contractors. We see this twice in this passage. In verse 1 and verse 2, Peter doesn't address sort of elders generally, but he says, elders among you. Elders are people who are associated with the sheep. They smell like the sheep. In fact, they're part of the sheep. They're in the fold. That's why he says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, not generally, not shepherd all of God's flock, but shepherd the flock that is among you. Now, I won't belabor this point, but there has been quite a bit of division in the church from shepherds who feel the need to shepherd their online flock, <laughs> who like to develop a following through shepherding their Facebook friends through inflammatory claims and argumentative engagement of, say, political decisions. There's some wisdom to this. We have to think together and publicly, that's sure. But the type of leaders we need moving forward are leaders who are with the flock, who know the flock, who smell like the flock, who graze with the flock, who understand what the flock eat, who understand the fears that are coming upon the flock. And it surely is there are shepherds who are trying to act sort of as independent contractors, sort of not tied to any church, sort of coming in and out, swooping in and out, trying to shepherd sheep whenever they get a chance to. We also have to watch our own internal heart desire, which is to use something like the internet to find shepherds who give us the food we like. Shepherds who 
tickle our ears and tell us the things we need to hear. The type of leaders we need to move forward are the leaders that will be examples to us in the suffering that we find ourselves in. This is why the elders are to be an example to this flock. They must be among the flock, showing them how to suffer well, how to engage with culture well in a local context. There are no independent contractors. This is something done collectively in a body of leadership known as the elders as they learn to shepherd the flock amongst them. Something's wrong if we can only look up to and find encouragement from pastors and shepherds who are far away. Something is wrong, and this is not the way it's meant to be. So we might say first that in this particular passage, we see that no leader that rightly leads the church of Christ rises above middle management. No leader that rightly leads the church of Christ acts as an independent contractor, kind of swooping in and out. We also might say, though, maybe most provocative, that no leader that rightly leads Christ's church is motivated by worldly things. And it seems to me this is the bulk of Peter's exhortation. We see this in these three contrasting motives that start at the end of verse 2 and go through verse 3. No leader is to act as though they are forced to lead. That's quite interesting. It might not be common in our culture today, but especially in this sort of Greco-Roman culture, someone tapping you on the shoulder asking you to do something, especially someone of high status, it would be very, very, um, very, very tempting to feel that this obligation then it must take place. I've been asked by such a prominent person to serve as an elder, therefore I ought to serve as an elder. Peter is saying that it's not going to be the case in the leaders who shepherd the flock of God. They are not, they are not to be coerced into doing this. They're not to be manipulated into it. They're not to be guilted into it. This should be something that arises deep inside of them, something that they want to do. They're not motivated by obligation, but they have an internal sense of calling from the chief shepherd that they want to shepherd the flock. And there's an internal eagerness that the love and care that they've experienced from God, they want to, they want to be a channel through which that is passed on from God to others. They're also not to be motivated by a desire for greedy gain. It's quite interesting, this early in the church history, church leaders were receiving some kind of financial remuneration, and I don't know if that was monetary entirely or if it was a variety of gifts that would have come their way. Church history tells us a, a variety of different ways. And Peter right away says, listen, it's not just the health, wealth, prosperity preachers with their jets who need to hear this. Very early on, it'll be tempting to be motivated by greed for gain, and that will motivate some to move into this role as shepherds. It might be the best job some of them can find. Peter is saying, watch out. In the same way the chief shepherd was not motivated by any of his own gain, but purely by a love for the sheep when he came and gave his life, so also the type of leaders that are going to move the church forward in the face of fiery trial must not be motivated by greedy gain. Then Peter says no leader is to be motivated by this lust or desire for power a desire to domineer over. This might be the most uh, worldly temptation that comes in organizations like the church or any non-for-profit you could be part of. Sure, you might not be motivated by uh, greed for gain or for obligation, but there is a kind of lust and greed that comes from feeling powerful over people, being able to tell people to do things and for them to look you in the eye and obey. That kind of lust for power is toxic, and Peter is saying, if you get a stench of this as a leader, you must turn from these things. You're not to be domineering, but you're to lead by example. 
You're not going to say, submit to me. You're going to model what it means to submit to Christ and watch his sheep follow. Rather than domineering, elders are called to be an example. The elders of the church are to shepherd the sheep and be motivated by a clear vision of Jesus, the chief shepherd. While we were still caught up in our sins and trespasses, wandering away from the flock, on a path towards our death and damnation, the chief shepherd, at great expense to himself, through thorns and thistles, even giving his own blood and his own life, chased us down and found us, and by his blood gave of his life on this cross that we might be rescued from the pit we had found ourselves in, that we might be saved and delivered. He is the marker of what it means to be a shepherd, and the elders are to be motivated so clearly of this vision of what leadership looks like, that nothing short of acting like their chief shepherd will ever satisfy them. This is how they are to move forward and rightly be a testimony to Christ. No leaders above middle management, no leaders an independent contract, independent contractor. No leader is motivated by things of this world, but fourthly we might say that no leader will go unrewarded though. Who would take a job like this? It seems better to sit back and let others fill in. But Peter assures us that when the chief shepherd appears, there will be a crown of glory that is otherworldly. It never fades. Peter's clearly playing off a picture that would have been a common, sort of, you have it in your mind of the Olympics, of the sort of wreath being placed upon the victor. Something like this, Peter has in his mind, of a crown of glory being placed upon each and every shepherd who is faithful to the small part of the flock that God had entrusted them to. And this crown never fading. And the elders in Revelation getting the participation of laying this crown down at the feet of Jesus. Now, I want to end by asking this. Why does Peter give this exhortation for the whole church to read? And maybe more provocatively, why is it still relevant for us today, some 2,000 years later, facing much different issues than the early church face? Well, maybe I could explain it this way, that part of the core, at the core of, of our problem, is what it means to be a human. Part of our fundamental problem is that we have a propensity to use others as means to an end to dehumanize people and use them as ways to accomplish and gain things that we want, that we need. At, at our core, this is what sin is. This is what our problem is. We use God's stuff for our own glory, for our own honor, our own benefit. We use God's people for our own glory, for our own honor, for our own benefit. Is this not why so many of you are hurt by the way Christian leaders have acted in the past couple of years? People being used as means to the end of their own celebrity, their own brand. If this is the problem with leadership, the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus didn't use people, humans, as means to an end. He didn't use their flesh as means to gain his glory and honor. In fact, he took on flesh and surrendered, gave his own life, his own flesh, that, that salvation might be purchased for those who are in bondage and trapped in this decay of sin. This, this addiction to rebellion, these destructive patterns and habits, these using one another. He used his authority not to use people, but to be used by people. He lived a perfect and blameless life and allowed for his life to be a means to the end of your salvation. And what this means now 
is that everything we know about authority and leadership is upended and changed because of Jesus Christ. Here is one leader, finally, who doesn't dehumanize people, but humanizes himself, takes on flesh, that salvation might come to the human race. And because of what he did as that chief shepherd, that good shepherd, he now works through his spirit to work in your and mine life. Whatever leadership you might find yourself in, whether that just be a parenting a child, a leader over a team at work, a leader of a, a small group of friends, whatever that might be, he works in our lives now that we might see leadership generally redeemed, that we might use our life not to dehumanize people, but to take on their burdens, not to treat them as means to an end, but be, participate in God's means of bringing salvation to them. This is the hope of the gospel. And Peter wants you to know that the, the God who has done this for us in Jesus Christ is working now, even in our community, to do this to individuals that you might taste and know salvation in some of the hardest moments of your life as fiery trials come. So at the very least, if you're here and you're addicted to running away from authority, never submitting to anyone, never committing to anything, isn't this the type of authority you want to put yourself under? And if you're here and you've been burned by authority, it might take a while before you trust again. But let me remind you, there is one chief shepherd. He has not burned you. He has not done you any wrong. He has not dehumanized you with any of his actions. He's worked to bring about your salvation, and he is now shepherding you. And he's using means. And one of those means is going to be healthy churches. And if it's not this church, you need to find one where you will be rightfully shepherded well by the leaders in Christ's church. This is our hope, that all things in Jesus Christ are being redeemed, even church leadership. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you for Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd, and we know that every elder in our life still struggles and bears with sin. All these temptations are still relevant to them. And yet we thank you that in your kindness, your spirit works through sinful beings to watch over your flock. For those of us who bear the name of Christ, we thank you for all those elders who shepherded us. Most of the time, we aren't even aware of what they did for the good of our souls. We ask, Father, that you would raise up more shepherds, some of the children that are down the hall hearing lessons. These would be our future pastors and elders. You'd raise up more leaders to shepherd in a variety of ways, whether that be a small group or to shepherd well their family around the dinner table. Continue to watch over your church. Continue to expose sin and corruption. And continue to make beautiful the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.